Warning, this podcast contains bad words and stories about drugs and sex and overthrowing the government. Proceed with caution. Thank you. And now on to our show. Wake up, brother, we got nothing to do. Let's go outside, just me and you, and build a fort. We'll pack a lunch, won't be home till after dark. Then after dinner, we can sneak back out. You know that high school girl I've been telling you about? Well, she gets undressed about a quarter to nine, and we can watch her do it from the big old pie next door. She got a room on the second floor. Well, looks like another fucked up day in paradise. Dan Kelly here, a.k.a. Shree Fuji Split, Daughter of Godcast, Season 4, Choice. And this is Episode 170, Shebox. Uh... Bit of a lengthy podcast episode and jam-packed with production and conceptual esoterica. Welcome, ye collaborators. Welcome. The Shebox artists gathered on December 4th, 2019 for our second meeting. We started hashing out Act 1 of Buffalo Joe in the Box. How does a box... A square box made out of hemp board. How does a box become a god? Let's backtrack a week or three. The orgy of exposition. In episode 165, Fall, I asked for feedback on a snippet of Buffalo Joe and the box. On November 11th, 2019, my steadfastly ebullient sister Pam opined as follows. Pam, it feels a little awkward, maybe too much, as you know, Bob, for one scene to absorb. Exposition like this is better spread out if it has to be aired at all, which I'm sure is necessary for this film's complicated plot. I replied. Excellent feedback, Pam. As exposition goes, this scene is rather heavy-handed. However, I anticipate elevating exposition to high art with additional elements currently under development. Pam is dead on correct. Buffalo Joe in the Box is an orgy of exposition. Telling rather than showing is cinematic anathema, right? Right? Feels like there may be some nugget, some nugget hiding here, some way to flip this. I think chinking out this nugget, that's what this scene is about. I love the kludgy exposition of classic science fiction. There's something endearing about half-assed explanations that attempt to plug us into unfamiliar and often ill-conceived worlds. I'm also into internally self-consistent world-building. But that's pretty subjective. What I consider internally self-consistent may not be, may be utterly ramshackle by the standards of hard science fiction. One of my favorite movies is Louis Malle's 
My Dinner with Andre, written by and starring Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn. All they do is talk for over an hour, but such ideas. Another zany talking movie is Waking Life. I anticipate elevating exposition to high art with additional elements currently under development. What the flying fuck through a rolling donut am I talking about? Simply stated, we three artists endeavor to channel her, Shebox's, presence. The high art of exposition is helping Shebox to be as vital as any actor-based character, as real as Buffalo Joe. If the audience connects with her feelings and desires, then she is alive for them. Her life is a given. That's the ultimate show don't tell we're after. To achieve a my dinner with Andre scenario, a conversation between two people. What the dialogue, dialogue explains, what her dialogue, Shebox's dialogue explains and reveals about the world of Daughter of God and the backstory is secondary, perhaps even a sort of a diversion, a sleight of hand. It's a chance for her to reveal herself as a wacky, flirty, savvy being. Movie within a movie. And what if Shebox was a sort of cognitive, cognitive gateway embedded in the movie, if she eventually became the movie? What if her presence gently subsumed the screen and we and she became one? Film started out, movies, film, cinema, started out in black and white, sometimes tinted blue or red or sepia. The development of cinema was a list of surprises about human perception, the history of film's language camera angles and editing, revealed mechanisms of human cognition. Let's say a movie has a scene of a truck driving down a highway, you see it going by, followed by another shot of a man smoking a cigarette behind a steering wheel. Like, how is it possible we can make sense of two completely unrelated images spliced together and build relationships between them? Is film revealing existing cognitive mechanisms or creating them? Trippy. Some physicists actually wonder whether they are discovering the laws of nature or creating them. The bigger our telescopes, the more the universe recedes. What if cinema, this now not so new art form, is just another way to create ourselves? discovering all sorts of unprecedented cognitive capacities. The next advance on the adventure of desiring ourselves into existence. Not to belabor this point, but here's the distinction I'm trying to make between discovering capacity and creating capacity. Over a couple hundred thousand years, humans developed a fixed palette of abilities. This is, this is one way of thinking about things. Over a couple hundred thousand years, Humans developed a fixed palette of abilities that have been mostly misplaced by modernity, like cold exposure and fasting, to name but two. And once we discover all these capacities, we'll know the full extent of, of humanness. We, only, we can only be what's already wired in. In contrast, 
creating capacity is ongoing, infinite. The full human experience is constantly expanding. We imagine something new and then instantiate it. Well, could humans do this? Could humans run uh, a mile in under four minutes? Well, let's find out. And suddenly we can. So we play with cinema. We play with this scene, Buffalo Joe in the Box, and we see what other perspectives and superpowers we can dream up. Hey, what do you know? Another Y dot movie. Shebox has a lot in common with the birth of cinema. Her hempboard surfaces are coated with a computational paint, Mediatronics, that, not, that only displays monochrome imagery and is not able to produce sound. Perhaps by revisiting these limitations, we can facilitate a few more cognitive surprises. Um, here's a quick sequence of cutaways that might trip our trap door and let Shebox take over the movie and run the show. So we start with this sort of top third of the box. In the, we see the top third of the box in the foreground and Buffalo Joe in the background. There's basically, that's the one camera angle. Then the other camera angle is Buffalo Joe uh, in, on screen right and the box on screen left. We can see the entire box. So those two angles, we swap back and forth between them. Now, let's imagine that we do a different a cutaway, which is basically a close-up of the box with maybe a bit of background context, like little trees and grass, maybe a piece of Uncle Joe's um, buffalo robe. And then the box begins to fill the frame. And, and the edges, the, the edge of the box and the corner of the box, and maybe the packing tape that runs down the side of the box, they begin to fade out. And we have this perspective view of the box it, it, with, the, uh, with the sides of the box receding and, and, and we see it as it would appear in real life to us. Perhaps that perspective view of the box slides into an orthographic view where there's no foreshortening at all and the, the sides of the box don't diminish towards the horizon line. And then from that orthographic view, where it's basically just a perfect box or two boxes put together side by side, as the box unfolds, we open up, we open up the sides of the boxes so that they're side by side. Uh, the box surface becomes the sort of infinite close-up. It's flat and featureless. It's empty. And so the box becomes the frame. It's the, it's the display screen. It's a container. It's the empty space within the box. So that's maybe sort of a, a way, a, an outline that I'm going to explore more. We're going to explore together, the three artists together. That idea of, of having this perspective box that opens up and that those surfaces become kind of a, a gateway. I'm going to go grab an actual painting to talk about this frame idea for a second. Show this. So this is a painting. I'm not sure if the whole thing is, it's a watercolor painting I did when I was in India. And it's in a frame. Oh, look, there's some mildew in that. Oh, maybe that's just in the glass. Hard to say. It looks like it's just on the outside. Anyway, so notice that this is a painting in a frame. And why do we put paintings in frames? 
I think it's because it's sort of like a window. It's a window. It's a window. It, the idea of a frame creates this, this sort of metaphorical window. And you're looking through the window. You hang this on your wall, right? You hang this on your wall. And, and then you look over like, oh, I'm looking out that window at the gates of India. There they are in, 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 uh, in, in Mumbai. Okay, there it is. And, and, and are you really looking out through your wall at India or, or, or not? <laughs> well, that's what the frame does. The frame creates this, this doorway, this window that you can look through your own wall into another world that doesn't actually exist beyond your wall. So, so that's, that's kind of the idea of, of a frame. And, and can we open up this character called the box and make her into a frame? So, so that's the question. Can we, can we take this character in the movie and unfold her into a window that looks right out of the movie into some place else? What am I talking about? I don't know really exactly what I'm talking about, but there's something there. Yes, the box, the box is a frame. The, the box is a frame, a, a, a display screen, a container. It's the empty space within. We, we open up the sides of the boxes and we're looking through into an endless emptiness that we can put anything into, project ourselves into perhaps. So frame. The simplicity of the shots and the editing in Buffalo Joe in the Box could be another category of frame, a, a conceptual rather than a spatial frame. For paintings, a frame is a sort of window in the wall and the painting is a world outside that window. Um, looking through a frame is like falling through a cognitive trapdoor into the infinite, bringing us back again to the idea of a movie within a movie. The slightly mundane construction of the scene, only two camera angles and a, a couple of cutaways, long takes between those cuts, is framing an ephemeral feeling or an idea. The potent thing isn't about the nifty shots or innovative cuts, it's about what the shots and cutting encompass. The ineffable offered in a wrapper of simplicity, angels in brown paper bags, an idea a feeling, an experience, I, I don't know yet. That's one idea of the frame, of unfolding this box into a frame. But then this conceptual frame that I just talked about is, is the construction of the scene is really basic. It's a very simple construction, just two shots. We edit between those two shots and we have some cutaways. And, and one might actually put it another way, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty boring shot. It's a pretty boring construction, two shots. And that's it. And we just basically stare at these long takes of these, of these characters. Well, maybe that simplicity, that simple frame, conceptual frame, is framing something else. What the scene, what that simplicity does is it contains something much more subtle. And so we keep the scene, we keep the scene simple so we can catch that subtlety. All right. Well, meanwhile, um, 
this is kind of this idea of keeping a really making a really simple frame. The construction of the scene being a simple frame is in contrast with like let's say Hitchcock's Thirty Nine Steps, which I recently rewatched. Like in the first minute of that movie, there's like nine camera angles and all this stuff going on. The camera's still and it's moving and it's doing this and that and all over the place. It's a little disorienting actually. Um, yeah, so Shebox. In the quest to create an authentic, resonant character, I'm reminded of Yoda from the original second Star Wars movie, Empire Strikes Back. And Yoda was, in fact, a puppet. One of the most compelling characters in the original movies, thanks to Lee Brackett, Joseph Campbell, and definitely Frank Oz. Uh, this is before Lucas lost his special sauce and the eventual sell-off of his magnum opus to Disney. Anyway, Yoda transcended his puppet nature. How? How did he do that? This is certainly worthy of further research. Is the magic of Yoda applicable to Shebox? Um, during the uh, 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 December meeting with Mel and Joe, I touched on design cr criteria we'll be considering eventually. Um, translating the aspect ratios, uh, secrets, secrets of monochrome, and the network artifacts and transitions. So let's talk about aspect ratios. I'm going to fire up, uh, fire up ScreenFlow here, and let's just record uh, color LCD. Okay, go. Yeah, go ahead, continue. Okay, it's starting to record here. Now what I'm doing is I'm recording the screen of the podcast here. Let's just do this done and we'll say save draft. Okay, there we go. And then I'm going to swap over to that video so we can watch that together. Oh, it's taking a little while. <laughs> Shoot. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. There we go. Okay. So go back down here. Where are we? Okay, here we go. So aspect ratios. So let's start with translating the aspect ratios. So the dog, Daughter of God movie aspect ratio is 16 by nine. It's a rectangle, okay? It's like this by this. And a box, the box's side, one side of the box, that aspect ratio is square. It's one to one, okay? So how do we translate this one to one thing into this? Well, uh, there's lots of options for doing this. Um, uh, from translating a one-to-one -one aspect ratio of a square box to the 16 by nine rectangle of a movie screen. Um, the camera could move around the box or stay static. Um, for simplicity's sake, let's only explore the options for a static camera. So here's the first one. Let's just put that right. In. Oh, hey, you know what? We'll make it a little bigger. Oh, how about that? Oh, look at that. So beautiful. Huge. Oops, right there. So we're right. Where are we? Oh my God. We jumped all around there. Okay, here we go. So here's the first one. This is a this is a box with sort of a straight-on um, perspective shot of the, of two sides, a corner right in the middle. And if we take that, you see the white triangle there. It's a 16 by 9 crop here. So we crop that, and that's what this would look like. And you can see there's the corner, and there's the tape running down the side. Okay. So what's our next possibility? Well, we could do a three sort of side shot where we have the top of the box and the two sides, and there's again, there's our crop, and it would look like that. Okay, so we're moving right along here. 
Then there's this sort of what I call, uh, this is the, the Dutch angle, where it's the same, kind of the same as this second one, but the camera is tilted a little bit um, as, as, as it looks at the box. And so we get this kind of Dutch angle, which, which I like to call the Adam West's Batman fight scene from the TV series Batman. That shot. Oh, somebody's getting in touch with me from Greg. Get out of there, Greg. Get out of there. Um, so you can see uh, most, uh, you know, most of this side, a little bit of this side, some stuff is cut off and most of this top is cut off and it would look like that. Um, I want to explore this idea of seeing one side of the box at an angle like this, at a, at a tilt, um, with no edges or tape visible, visible. We'll call that Dutch turbo. I'm really curious how the foreshortening of the flat projection would affect the experience of the image. So um, this will maybe make a little more sense as we go down here a little bit. So, so here is the idea of unfolding the box. This is an orthographic view of the box side. Again, here's the side of the box right here. And then we just make the orthographic view. It's a square. So forget about any perspective. Just look at it as, as a square. And uh, by the way, this is a shot from Hitchcock's Hitchcock Saboteur from 1942. So if we take a 16 by nine crop of that square, we get this. So just to, as a refresh here, I mean, we could have made this square a lot bigger and taken in more of this picture, but I'm just saying, let's imagine we're just focusing on this guy's face and we had to take a 16, 16 by nine crop, we'd get that. So then if we go and we put two boxes, we unfold the boxes and put them side by side, then that's one by one one by one by one, or now it's one by two, and that's pretty close to 16 by nine. So if we take that crop and we move it over there, look, we got almost the whole thing that we had when the box unfolded. It's, it fits almost, it almost fits perfectly in that 16 by nine. So these are some different options to think about in how the camera looks at the box. And maybe this is the process of going into the box and, and then becoming one with the box. So uh, that's aspect ratios and thinking about how to translate them. Um, and now let's talk about secrets of monochrome. Hey, back, back to me, here we are. Um, so secrets of monochrome, I need some water. Let's have some water. Let's have a little water because we're thirsty. Okay, so secrets of monochrome. With all of the image possible, all the possible options we have for imagery and the multiple sides of the box with or without perspective and whatnot, thank goodness for monochrome. No color means less options. Black and white movies, especially film noir and newsprint comics, are two of the most iconic examples of the high art of monochrome in imagery. We're reviewing Mark Cousins' story of film for cinema and Scott McCloud's stellar books on sequential art theory or comics. Cinema wasn't in color and didn't have sound at first. Though Shebox speaks in act two and three through the gramophone uh, device, the, the um, the uh, 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 enigmatically upgraded device that that is 
that is her voice, we can establish a convention that the phonograph is only capable of producing her voice, not sound effects or music. Limitations focus our attention on getting the most out of what we have, and decades of film history went by before movies and talkies were one and the same. From the Lumiere Brothers' Cinematograph in 1895 to 1927 with Sync Sound Newsreels, short films, and Al Jolson in blackface. Mammy, Mammy, don't you know me, Mammy? I'd walk a million miles for one of your smiles, my Mammy. And visual innovation in cinema didn't end with the deployment of Sync Sound. We've had a hundred years of gorgeous movies since then. More insights on black and white to come. Network artifacts and transitions. The box is actually a conglomeration of trillions of boxes spread across the planet, intercommunicating via encrypted shortwave packets. The Mediatronic surface of the boxes is covered with computational paint, a thin skin of processor power, what nowadays we think of as a chip. The boxes are 16-inch cubes, so 16 by 16 uh, divided by 144 square inches equals 1.77 square feet per side. And so if we take 1.77 square feet per side and times it by the six sides of the box, we get 10.66 square feet. That's just for one box. How much, how much chip surface there is on one box? 10.66 square feet. And then we take that and we multiply that by a trillion for how many boxes there are, and we get 10.66 trillion square feet or 380,000 plus square miles of chip. 380,000 square miles of chip. That's about 1.5 the size of Texas, the second largest state in the United States of America. It's a chip bigger than Turkey, Ukraine, France, and Spain. Not together, but each separately. It's bigger than each of those countries. The box's cognition propagates over this vast network. And even though radio waves travel at the speed of light, big epiphanies and rare data might take a bit of time to fully instantiate over the entire body of the box. So there's a look, there's a look to how these images appear. What is that look? It's going to depend on how we imagine the box network architecture and communication protocols. And there's been a fusion with mycelia, so looking into mycelial architecture might provide some hints. And so just to make this, put this in plain English, what does it look like when an image shows up on the box? It's just pop, pop on? Or does it somehow come incrementally? And if it comes in incrementally, how, what's the look of that incremental appearance? I lost my camera there. I'm coming back now. Geeky enough for you? Looking for more esoterica, unpredictable swings of the content pendulum? One episode, this guy, Dan Kelly, he's threatening to describe his coffee enema protocol. And next he's yammering on about mycelial packet networks and why he's still in love with most of his ex-girlfriends. This is what hanging at the epicenter of open source art feels like. This is where the transformational wave of 2020 started. Right here. You, you are here. 
Daughter of God cast season for choice, episode 170 Shebox, and this is Dan Kelly, aka Shree Poojee Split. Recently I dreamed I was in bed. I was in bed sleeping, this was my dream. But there was a girl in the room playing guitar and she was causing me to sing along in my sleep to her songs. I was singing California Dreaming by the Mamas and Papas and in my dream I sang the lyrics like this. Walked into a church, I passed along the way, you know I got down on my knees and I began to pray. The preacher liked it cause he thought I'd gone astray. I always thought the lyric was he thought I was gonna stay, but in my dream I thought I got it right with gone astray. Stray. Turns out I was wrong both times and more besides. It's stopped into a church. I passed along the way. You know I dropped down on my knees and I pretend to pray. You know the preacher likes the cold. He knows I'm gonna stay. Fuck. Wherever they are, these people singing, it's cold and they wish they were in LA where it's warm. Then later in my dream, I was singing that again, wrong. And still in the dream, my brother came into the room and shone a flashlight on my face and I cursed him and I realized I'd been singing in my sleep and woke up the whole house. I have sung in my sleep out loud before in real life. Lyrics that I didn't even know I knew and they were right. Brains are amazing. I'd highly recommend having one. Stopped into a church. I passed along the way. You know I dropped down on my knees. And I pretend to pray. You know the preacher likes a cold. He knows I'm gonna stay. California dreaming on such a winter's day. Oh, fuck California. Michigan number one. Woo! Michigan, yes.